the, uh, the creatures of this place, they can feel like they're talking to us sometimes. And I was just walking over here to the, the meditation hall from the middle house with Joey, and we heard a little noise, and I looked over to my right, and there was a deer you know, bounding, leaping through the forest, and I thought, oh, this creature you know, felt some measure perhaps of fear in hearing the, the loudness of our voices and our movements, and is this, is this light too bright for anybody up here? Okay. And, uh, and we looked for another moment in this tiny little baby, like mm-hmm. Joey told me that this, that this little baby was four or five days old, mm-hmm. was running behind Mama, and then three more deer came. And Joey told me that a few days ago she saw this baby curled up and the mama licking the fur of the baby and the baby nursing from the, from the mama. And she just, watched, um, she just watched this interaction between parent and child for 45 minutes. <coughs> and I felt really touched because tonight I'm going to talk about compassion and I think it's helpful to remember that like, none of us would even be sitting here at all if compassion wasn't part of who we are and part of, um, part of life itself. And compassion is um, such a deep part of who we are. And I'm not saying this as a blanket statement, actually. I'm saying this to every person in this room because you are... Um, educators, you are in service, you are in the work of compassion, whether it's, you know, looking like science or looking like um, rites of passage or looking like art. You know, the, the essence of what you do has to do with, with compassion. And as I'm speaking tonight, I want to keep inviting you to throw out your ideas about what you have to do to become more compassionate. <laughs> That's not the work. <laughs> the work isn't doing something to become a more compassionate person. So when you feel that idea form, put it down. The way that we teach compassion practice is, is not so much of um, a self-improvement project, But compassion is what arises naturally when the heart meets suffering, when we're not distracted, when we're not self-absorbed, when we're not trying to be the best or thinking we're the worst, when we're not caught up in our own separation and um, busyness. You know, the heart meets compassion and there's, there's a resonance. There's a natural response, Joanna talked about the mirror neurons, like I saw that deer, and it just, it's like, that was my beautiful dhamma of the day, with everything else, and boom, you know, boom, it just opened the heart, and so the practice of compassion is an invitation to, again, Joanna used the word reclamation, to reclaim our innate sensitivity, to reclaim our deepest attunement because the dominant culture, part of its function is to desensitize us, to numb us out in a certain way. And so it can be like we start to feel and there can be all this overwhelm. 
which is one of the pieces we'll talk about, because often one of the real fears I hear as we turn toward compassion practice is, I can't, I can't do that, it's already too much. I'm, I'm overwhelmed, I can hardly listen to the news. And so we're in the state of wanting to be compassionate, but feeling like our systems can barely handle you know, the volume of all of it. But can you remember the last time someone met you with compassion? You don't have to say, but just take a minute and remember. When was the last time someone met you with compassion in their presence? And how how did that impact you? What happened in your body? in your sense of yourself. Do you feel it in your body a bit? Can you get that felt sense reference? Because we feel it in one another, there's a way that we know, we recognize, yes, this, this being is meeting me with compassion. This being is meeting me, letting me be as I am. You know, not fixing, not changing, not a project. I know for me, when I'm met with compassion, you know, my eyes soften. There's a feeling of just having permission to be who I am in my beauty and my messiness. And it's like such a relief, you know? I'd be curious to hear from some of you, what, what, what is compassion to you? What does that word mean? How do you know the experience of compassion? doesn't have to be profound. Yeah, Sarah? I think when someone just listens. Yeah, when someone just listens. Uh-huh. For me, it's just an incredible opening of the heart, mm. like, like something that just goes right straight mm. to the soul. An incredible opening of the heart, something that goes right straight to the soul. Mm. Yeah. I think it's just acceptance. Mm. Right, acceptance. I think it's like a, um, like a. Deep visibility that's mutual. Mm-hmm. A deep visibility that's mutual. Yeah. Yeah. You feel cared for and loved. You feel cared for and loved. Yeah. Understood. And understood. Uh-huh. Yeah. These are such like innate human qualities. These are things that we long for as living beings, and yet it gets so complicated, doesn't it? It just gets so so complicated. And, you know, one way of understanding compassion is the heart that quivers when it meets suffering. It's like quivers, feeling with. And the word compassion, the, the calm, C-O-M, means with. And one translation, the Latin translation, passion is actually to suffer with. 
which sometimes sounds, ooh, no, thank you. <coughs> but when we're with someone, you've all had those moments when you're in the presence of suffering and you're fully there. The thing is that there's this beauty in the connectedness of suffering with. It's it's um, makes us more whole in a certain way, and and compassion has many many flavors. You know, often there can be the sense that compassion's only warm and fuzzy and soft, and it can be. Compassion can be really flowing and tender, exquisitely tender, exquisitely vulnerable. Compassion can also be um, quite strong and fierce. Compassion, real compassion in this world takes guts. It's not a... (laughs) it, It just takes guts if we're real about it. And for me, in my own Dharma practice... Compassion was my gateway. Mindfulness wasn't. I was doing mindfulness practice, but it, it was, I was just really, it felt really boring to me. I started out with Zen, sitting, looking at a wall with my eyes open, like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? You know, whatever, looking at a wall. And, um, and I was taught, you know, some of you know, I was, I was taught a compassion practice. And I was just... Um, it seemed like the only practice that mattered because the truth is when I, when I started my Dharma practice, I was suffering a lot. I, I was suffering a lot as a young woman, feeling like I did not know my place in the world, feeling like somewhat of an orphan, very much alone, very much isolated. And the compassion practice was the first time that it actually occurred to me that I, that I really did have another option um, in dealing with my pain that wasn't running away from it because I was like engaged in everything possible to keep the pain at bay. I became perfect in almost every way I thought I could possibly be perfect, which became a very rigid and separate shell. You know, so like a compassion practice, like it, it gave me a way just little by little, moment by moment, to feel like my suffering um, had some uh, potential or capacity for meaning in it. It's like, oh, if this suffering can be a way of awakening compassion, I can get with that. I can get with that. It takes a lot of compassion to be on retreat. It takes a lot of compassion just to sit with, with our minds, with our bodies, with our limitations. It takes a lot of compassion just to to be here and your work, you work because of your compassion in large part and you came to this retreat on some level because you care about, about your own suffering. Hmm. Yeah, it's funny, Joanne and I were talking after dinner and like, you know, Talking to you all about compassion, it's really preaching to the choir. <laughs> Educators in today's world are activists. I want to talk a little bit about, you know, to know, to know a quality, it's helpful to know what it isn't. It's helpful to know um, what it isn't and to know what gets in the way. Um, and so... Actually, I'm not going to do that yet. I want to talk a little bit about compassion for ourselves. 
Because when you think of it, right, it's so easy to go into compassion for others, compassion for the world. And real compassion practice starts with ourselves. And um, we have an epidemic in the dominant culture here. There's, there's such an epidemic of self-judgment and such a great um, part of that ep- epidemic is that there's such a, pro- a great loss of self-compassion. You know, we, we just have not been given the tools to truly bring this, uh, this compassion for ourselves. So we're in this culture that, that is creating so much suffering by having no real place for the suffering. You know, when we have a real place for the suffering, we can meet it, we can grow up more fully. But when we spend our lives, and think about all the messaging, that you are successful, basically, if your body's free of suffering, if you have enough money, if you have the perfect relationships, if you never age, if your life is free from suffering. You know, we, we miss out on the riches. So just to give you, give you a reference, just as you're sitting here right now, um, just take a moment, bring your, bring your attention into your heart center. If, it's, if it feels like disconnected in your heart center, you can put your hand on your heart. Just let yourself feel that space in the body that, that really responds to life, that senses life. And allow the breath to move through your heart center like a like a ribbon, like a silk ribbon. And in this place of being in your seat and being connected, bring to mind some suffering that's true in your life right now. You might not pick the biggest, most serious thing in the world. There could be a suffering in your body. There may be a suffering that's happening in a relationship that matters to you. Maybe a suffering that has to do with how you feel about yourself or how you talk to yourself on the inside. Just let yourself take a few moments to breathe with this suffering. Allow your heart to be tender, to be open. And you might just name for yourself, you know, this this is really hard right now. This is a place of suffering. This is hard right now. Letting it be what it is. And you might next just remind yourself that suffering is part of our lives. And sensing all the beings who on some level are going through something similar in their own hearts to what you are meeting. Even if the story is different, this shared human experience, we're not alone here. 
and the gentle wish. May I hold this pain with kindness, with compassion. gentle wish, I care. I care about my suffering. I care about my pain. (coughs) And notice what happens in you. Notice if things become more revved up or more settled. Notice if you feel less connected or more connected. And sense yourself both with the presence of this pain or this hurt and also as the wise one that holds, that receives. As you're ready, it's you can um, just turn to a more more normal awareness. And I just would like to hear from a couple of you. Just what what happens as you turn toward your pain in this way? What happens as you do that? I know it can be feel, feel kind of like a vulnerable thing to throw out in the group, but we all we're all in this territory. I feel a little a little aversion because I feel like I've been practicing this compassion towards this suffering for so long, mm-hmm. but it's not really changing or getting better or. Mm-hmm. So some aversion because you practice. So I'm like, just I just don't even want to do it anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't even want to do it anymore because when you do it, it doesn't make the suffering get better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. For me, there's a sense of freedom. Yes. Uh, just accepting that that's what's there and having that compassion for myself frees me mm. to have what's going on going on. Mm. So some freedom, having the compassion there, frees you to just have what's going on be what's going on. <clears throat> yeah. I feel an, uh, an awakening, like a settling and an acknowledgement because so much of, I, I deny, I go into denial, mm-hmm. and when I settle down, the, the reality is there, and I feel a settling mm-hmm. of my nervous system, perhaps. So your nervous system settles, it takes you out of your denial. Yeah. It's, you know, compassion practice, it really is practice. I appreciate what you said, Bailey, because it's like, it's compassion practice is long haul practice in the Buddhist cosmology. 
You know, compassion is what's practiced for tens of thousands of lifetimes. You know, tens of thousands of lifetimes. It takes takes such a depth of compassion, and it's it's tricky because we alternatively identify with and hold back from our suffering. So, like when you're identified with your suffering, that may be what defines you. You know, you may become the story of your suffering. And that's what you walk around with. And when that's happening, there's not much room to let in information that's otherwise. You know, that feeling when you're the story of your suffering. It's very narrow. It can be, can be kind of righteous. And that's different than telling the truth about our suffering when we are identified. And then there's also this holding back from the suffering, which um, when we hold back from our own suffering, we cannot connect with another in their suffering, can we? You know, it's like that that connectivity begins to become more and more and more and more covered over. So we're kind of finding what's that sweet spot. There's a there's a quote that I like from Franz Kafka of all people. <laughs> and this is inscribed at the, at the this is now inscribed at the tomb of the great Persian poet Rumi. And these words are this you can hold back from the suffering of the world. You have permission to do so, and it is in accordance with your nature. But perhaps this very holding back is the one suffering you could have avoided. Mm-hmm. So he's saying... That the, um, that the holding back, which is a form of constriction or tension in our experience, actually doesn't protect us the way we think it will. You know, that that defense actually doesn't protect us. It mostly makes us separate. And part of why I'm talking about this is, you know, having compassion for ourselves and for you as educators um, I think having compassion for ourselves, you know, like it sounds like it's going to be this nice, sweet, like warm bath, fuzzy heart feeling, <laughs> and sometimes it can be like that. But um, in my experience, when I make choices that are really from a place of, of, a, of a determination in the direction of self-compassion for myself, um, I have to be willing to disappoint other people. Like, if you're really making your own wellness, your own compassion for yourself, the big rock in your life, a real priority, which is essential, (laughs) otherwise you will suffer from compassion fatigue, you will get burnt out, I know many of you already are, but... You know, there's a sense that when we make, when we really make a commitment to not just an inner, inner, inner meditation of self-compassion, but a life that expresses compassion for ourselves, you know, it's going to rock the boat. <laughs> because so, so often we've been trained and socialized into just accommodating everything for everyone. You know, and often it takes something really big to happen before we realize, oh, right, like, I, I, I get to have a life that includes compassion for myself. This is okay. This is okay. So it's like, you know, making different choices in the way you spend your time, you know, prioritizing your well-being, the willingness to disappoint others is part of where compassion takes guts. And even, you know, as we're making choices that are more and more bearing in mind compassion that includes ourselves, 
you know, you, you may have a feeling of not knowing who you are for a while. You know, if you're really committing to compassion for yourself in some particular ways, it can, it can feel really vulnerable, like a shift in identity. You know, are they still going to like you? Are you still going to be loved if you're not absolutely bleeding out, doing everything for everyone? This is where compassion is not just soft, it's, it's courageous. You know, so like it's something you might decide that you take on at some point after this retreat. It's like, what am I going to commit to, not as a should, but out of compassion for myself? And then getting really curious about how that impacts your identity, how that impacts how you move through the world. Because one of the obstacles to uh, self-compassion is the sense of, of um, needing to somehow be the oracle for everyone and everything. Like, do you ever have that feeling? Like, everybody, you know, the students are coming to you, the administration's coming to you, your families, like, they're, they're all coming to you for all these things, and you're somehow supposed to be able to juggle all these balls and do it perfectly. But it's, it's, it's impossible. It's inhuman to expect so much of ourselves. Compassion with others. Compassion with others. The, the, you know, uh, the kind of a, we know the opposite of compassion, okay? The opposite of compassion is cruelty. And that can be a really hard thing to see, but basically until we're almost completely, totally awake, we have these little seeds of cruelty in us. Like... When somebody you don't like has something good happen to them and you wish that something bad would happen to them instead. You know, it's like just being awake to these little places of cruelty in our mind streams without, you know, you know, focusing on that in any way. But, but the opposite of compassion is cruelty. That's pretty straightforward. But what can masquerade as compassion, what can look like compassion, but isn't compassion is, is pity. You know, that feeling of pity, like... Oh, poor little you, but I'm secretly so glad it's not me. Mm-hmm. Or poor you, and I've got it figured out. I know what you need, and I can help you. And there's a whole bunch of ego in that. That's very, very different than meeting and suffering with. When we, spl- when we slip over to pity, which has a kind of separateness um, in it, so there's a way that the practice of compassion for another asks us to pretty radically put down all of our stories of ourselves because we can't actually have the story of ourself, especially as being the helper, and have um, intimacy with another. There are different things. I was, I was remembering um, my, my, my mother... My mother and I had had a had a complicated relationship for for a lot of our lives, as you know, like many many mothers and daughters. There was a lot of love there, but there was a lot of really complex pieces and friction there. And and you know, for years in my Buddhist practice, I would include my mother in my compassion practice, feeling so spiritual and noble 
in doing that. And it was like, oh yeah, I care about your suffering, mom. But there was so much judgment in it. It was like, I care about your suffering, mom. And if you would only just do this differently, your life would be better. You know, if you would only do what I think you need to do. Um, it was pretty funny. But, um, but I remember when my mother got, got, got a terminal diagnosis and going to see her with this terminal diagnosis. And there was this, this, I know it happened for her too, but there was this place where it was no longer, you know, on a relative level, Aaron daughter, Chris' mother, but, but really that was mostly um, dissolved. And what was there was this, this field of so much compassion, yet it, it dissolved the identities that had kept us separate for so long. You know, like there wasn't even room for that judgment in my mind to land around, I have compassion for you, but that little add-on of if you could only do it differently. There's this feeling of being really um, a compassion that was beyond our ideas of who we took one another to be. Do you know what I'm talking about? Those moments when you're with someone, it's like there's just... Sometimes this happens with birth or death or making love, those moments where you're just right there, you know? And there's this natural kind of connection and compassion and, and there's a sense of um, that we were sitting inside of compassion. The compassion wasn't mine, it wasn't hers. We were, we were inside of it together. So there's a way that compassion is a... Uh, but it took, it took, it took a terminal diagnosis. Like, what if it doesn't have to take a terminal diagnosis? You know, it took that level of suffering. And, um, and, and compassion, you know, it's like a force that you can call upon. I remember one, one woman some retreats ago, she was having a really hard time. It was the end of a marriage. She was really struggling and she had so much courage coming to be here. And she said, I went out in, in this, this, this Ponderosa Grove upriver. And she just said, she said, I called on the four directions. And I called on, she's talking about these four heart qualities that Joanna talked about yesterday of kindness and compassion and joy and equanimity. And she said, you know, I called on them to come rest in my heart. And she said, compassion just came and rested in my heart. I called on it. So that compassion is a, is a force in the universe that you can invoke. It's larger than a personal psychology. That can be part of it. But you know, if you're feeling disconnected from this kind of compassion, call on it. You wouldn't call on it if it didn't already live in you. You know, may compassion come sit in my heart. Because the world responds to us. We are part of this amazingly conscious, alive world. And interpersonally, you know, this, this, this dance, it's often so easy to feel a sense of compassion with folks where we, we know we have a lot of common ground. It's often easy to feel a sense of compassion with folks who um, look like us or um, who have the same education or kind of work that we do or who live in the same country or were born in the same country or speak the same language, or have the same skin color. It's, and you know, a lot of our, 
work at this time is like, how is it interpersonally to, to, to as an act of compassion, right? To be open, to be willing, to hear voices that are different from your own, that are really different from your own. You know, this is so much of the, the work around white supremacy and white privilege, you know. Are white folks like me really willing to hear, to hear, to sit in with stories that may be different than our own? Are we willing to really, really receive and, and show up? And some of what it takes is this, um, this mindfulness practice. We often talk about this path that Joanna and I are teaching, this path of waking up as being like a bird, you know, with two wings, one wing being the wing of the heart practices that I'm talking about right now, and one wing being the wing of wisdom, and that both wings really need to be developed in equal measure for our, our hearts to become free. We need both. We need both, and... Yeah, the mindfulness practice is some of what supports us in actually having somebody home. You know, that irony is like we, we need to be at home in ourselves. We need to have some kind of presence. I I was talking with Andre at lunch and I, I I did some online dating a few months ago. I don't know if anybody in this room has done some online dating, but it's a real trip. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> it's a real trip. <laughs> Joanna knows it all. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and it's like, it's so easy on the computer for somebody to look so great, you know, in some way. So handsome or so put together, so brilliant, you know. But I think what I'm realizing is that there are a lot of people out there where, there, where there's like a sense of what I experience. It's like, it's like, it's like, are you home? Like, who's in there? You know, like, th- there can be a picture, there can be a write-up, or there can be a phone call but there may not be somebody at home in themselves. It can be a kind of a vacancy of presence. But for me, it's been like, wow, this is sad. I'm not into this. Not that that's, you know, what everybody is who's, who's in the online dating world. <laughs> but just this, this vacancy in a certain way. And I realize that vacancy of beingness limits the presence of compassion. You know, they're actually, you have to be home in yourself to resonate, to feel with. And that's part of the importance of the mindfulness practice. It gives us a kind of presence. It doesn't make us disappear. It makes us more of who we are so that we can meet another in that kind of richness. So important for compassion together. And collectively, a list Joanna shared last night, all the words that you threw into the room last night. Collectively, it's a big one. It's a big one. To turn our instinct to be concerned about the well-being of those we hold near and dear, of those who... um, are like us to consciously be turning that instinct of care to to um, to all of life. 
You know, it takes such a courageous kind of compassion to really meet and confront injustice. And I'm aware of what a powerful place of, of, of um, what a powerful place compassion has. You know, in, in the Buddhist teachings, for example, you know, the, the Buddha is this person who had a lot of understanding, a lot of development of compassion. You know, the, the Buddhist path arose in India as a force against the social injustices of the time. You know, it's like this guy was speaking out against the caste system. He was speaking out on behalf of women. Um, he was advocating equality across the board. It's like, so any idea that a retreat like this or meditation is just going to be, you know, you going in your own little shell in a cave somewhere, we can just throw that, <laughs> throw that out of the water. Um, and this is where the self-compassion is really important because I can't tell you how many incredible activists come to Viacitos <coughs> to practice and, you know, like many of you, there's just exhausted and there's this feeling of, I can't do this anymore. You know, how do I do it? It comes back to what Joanna was saying, something like the heart, right? The heart can hold it all, but it's like the, the ego that can't and we're, we're continually, you know, what is that practice to open into this, this larger heart that can hold it? And this is where that piece I started with about not taking compassion on as a self-improvement project where you're going to become more compassionate by doing more. That's not the thing. We become more compassionate by being. And part of being is staying in regulation, right? Like getting enough sleep, taking in the news to the point that you can, and knowing when to turn it off. Knowing when having more input ends up paralyzing you and your ability to act because compassion is a verb. We do we do, do something. It's not so much that we do it, it's just the natural response. Um, and part of um, the wisdom of the larger compassion is, is also understanding that, that what you're doing already, it matters. And we are so profoundly connected that um, in some ways you don't have to be engineering your good work in the world. You don't have to be engineering it because we're already interconnected. And in this spirit, because there's wholesomeness in what you're doing, there's already impact. And I wonder, do you let yourselves take time to really sense into and feel the, you know, the incredible goodness of what you're doing? Do you, do you take time to reflect on that? It's a practice to take time. This is a practice I started doing about a year ago at the end of the day. Because sometimes I'll go through these full days teaching and it's like, oh, I'm so tired. Oh my gosh, I hope I did okay. I hope I didn't hurt anybody's feelings too much. Da, da, da. Yeah, go to bed and it's like, wait, <laughs> all this other good stuff happened today. And so at the end of the day, I have this practice before I go to bed, reflecting on my good deeds for the day. And they're way more than I ever thought they were. And that's not from like an egoic place. It's just the truth. And I think that may be true for you too. You know, what would happen if as you go to bed tonight, you take some time to reflect on your, your good deeds today or even your good deeds of the past month because they are, they are so many. And when we reflect on our good deeds, um, there's more wind in our sails for them to continue. 
I think what matters more than the, um, like we're used to thinking about our effectiveness, really effectiveness is what matters. And I, I know in your, in your work as educators, the systems are trained, have trained you that way. You know, what are the test scores? And that means you're doing a good job. Um, but what really matters is, is our motivation. What really matters is our, our motivation when we show up in the classroom, when we show up for ourselves. What really matters is um, your motivation. It's way more important than what has happened in the last sitting. And to let yourself connect with the goodness of your motivation is so important because that motivation is really, that that is what puts the winds in our sails, that motivation of compassion. No matter what all the particulars are around how that's manifested in the world, that motivation is huge. I recently heard this piece by America Ferreira. Some of you might have heard it. She was being interviewed by Krista Tippett in the the On Being show. And she was quoting a a woman whose name I don't remember right now, the author of Radical Love, this woman who was saying that maybe this time, this is like a a way to frame the compassion in a collective sense where so many of us are concerned, uh, deeply troubled. She was saying a way to frame this time is like what if it's the... What if this is the darkness of the womb and not the darkness of the tomb? And, and she went on to say, you know, what if some of what is happening right now is a very painful contraction that has to do with giving birth? You know, what if this is the darkness of the womb and it is our job to breathe into this contraction and let something new, these contractions, and let something new be born because life is birthed into this world through a process of contraction. It takes so much compassion to, to allow for the possibility of that happening. And I don't mean that, la, 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 everything's okay. I don't mean it that way at all. I just mean it like, what do we need to have the staying power for this journey to be in it for the long haul? And compassion for yourself really deep, deeply this even if you feel like you don't know how, just a motivation or intention. Uh, when you notice your suffering, like we did earlier, you just put your hand on your heart. Oh, may I hold this suffering with compassion. So as you're meditating, if you're freaking out because your mind won't settle down, boom, you're suffering right there. May, may this be a moment of compassion over and over again. Then it's all practice. It's all fodder for our own awakening. There's so much beautiful compassion in this room. And I'll just close by a poem, with a poem by Mark Nepo. He's such a great poet, having loved enough. Having loved enough and lost enough, I'm no longer searching, just opening. No longer trying to make sense of pain, but trying to be a soft and sturdy home in which real things can land. These are the irritations that rub into a pearl. So we can talk for a while, 
But then we must listen the way rocks listen to the sea. And we can churn at all that goes wrong, but then we must lay all distractions down and water every living seed. And yes, on nights like tonight, I too feel alone. But seldom do I face it squarely enough to see that it's a door into the endless breath that has no breather, into the surf that human shells call God. Just sit for a moment. Thank you for your attention tonight. So we'll take a take ten or fifteen minutes um, for walking, and when you're ready. Our, our last sitting of the evening, again, an open-ended sitting, will be on the porch like last night. And take some time before you go to bed to reflect on your good deeds. And if there's that sense of suffering arising, see what happens when you have that intention of compassion. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.